Castle, which was like a kind of an interpolation of the Wham Do project, um, uh, which is like an old dance classic. And Brittany liked the, I think she liked the idea of, of, of being, you know, like the boss bitch in the man's house, you know what I mean? Like, so, so being the king of the castle was like a really cool, was like a really cool twist for her, you know what I mean? And she always, you know, I think enjoys like flirting with, you know, like the you know, people's, you know, genders and this and that you know she's super open-minded and always got support from every community so i thought like king of my castle was that was like a big f you to the men type of thing you know what i mean like she was she could run the man's house as well that was lucas c khan who is a recording artist producer songwriter and so much more and we go into all of that soon so thank you so much for joining me my name is james rodriguez horton and this is the original doll podcast where i unpackage music with the people who created it some of you may know that song and go, oh, I remember that song. It was a huge hit. Um, it sold over and almost 1 million copies in the UK alone. Uh, big deal. Now, one of the things I like to do, and for those who wonder who are, you know, music uh, music Sherlock's, like, like some of our friends and everything out there, is when I talk to the songwriters and producers, we go back to the facts. We go back to the emails, all this sort of thing to verify this information. Now, Britney Spears, during this time, was working on her singles collection, because this is 2009. This song was during the production, the pre-production, uh, working during the singles project, which came out in 2009. In actuality, we found out, or I should say, and actually, we found out that um, the recording sessions, when this happened, was August 2009. And thank you so much, uh, Lucas, for verifying that information. Because uh, a lot of times people are like, oh, when it was recorded is this and that. So this was actually done then. This was before the release of the singles collection. And we have an episode coming up with one of your favorite guests out there. I'm not going to say who, where we talk about another song that was um, being pitched for the greatest hits collection for the singles greatest hits. Now, the thing to remember is this. Oftentimes, in contracts, especially early on when Britney Spears first signed in the late 90s, re-signed during Oops, signed again um, before In The Zone, all sorts of uh, recording contracts. Many times there's an album obligation saying you have to deliver X amount of albums. Sometimes the artist can include a compilation album, a greatest hits album, a holiday album, a covers album. What you'll find in a lot of these situations is People will cover songs that were already released, um, like with Britney Spears' first compilation, Greatest Hits, My Prerogative, which was a hit um, for the king of New Jack Swing, Bobby Brown, and Britney re-recorded it uh, years later. Now, the thing to keep in mind is this. Many times when pop stars are recording greatest hit songs, you know, they try to keep the cost of it down. That's what all of them um, will most likely say, because... You know, this is just, hey, most people have a song, let's just tack something else on there. And sometimes the actual label says, hey, we will count this greatest hits if you add X amount of new music. It all changes depending on different artists. We've talked about this with different songwriters and producers before. So the thing is, this really worked. Britney Spears covering a, a song that was already famous. That's an easy way to kind of get that song in there. Now, the other thing is, during this time, we've talked with other songwriters and producers, 
Britney Spears really wanted to flip the script on everything. You know, her singing King of My Castle was a specific reason. She was saying, I am the man of the house. You know, uh, Cher made that quote that Taylor Swift brought back in uh, to pop culture recently, saying, you know, the mom said, oh, you need to marry a rich man. And Cher said, mom, I am a rich man. Now, here's the thing. Britney Spears recording this song that to, was to be included on the greatest hits, the singles collection. She would most likely want, if it's the same gender-bending thing, she would want a female artist, a female rapper, female vocalist on there. Because that coincides with the whole purpose of this. King of My Castle sung by a woman. So then you would want a woman accompanying this. You'd want a woman guest. You know, there's this version that people have been talking about. We'll go into that in a bit with uh, this artist Shane Ward, where many people said, oh, this was done as a scrap duet, so on and so forth. We go back to this and talk about this was actually recorded in 2009, uh, intended on the singles collection, uh, that that's when, you know, Lucas had recorded Britney Spears and that it was a gender bending thing. So the thought that there would be a male on there would go against what Britney Spears' intention was and the initial goal. Because if you want to flip a song on its head, you know, it's like Christine Aguilar, rave reviews by everyone when she did It's a Man's Man's World. Um... A lot of times you have these R's that come in and want to shake things up. So there's that. Um, the other thing is, oftentimes we've heard these and demos have leaked, where sometimes a recording artist, another artist or songwriter will sing something on top of it. In our previous episodes with Red is the Color, we talk about Heather Bright wrote the verses because she was given the track with, and we found this out, uh, Forrest Looper's voice as the chorus. So she was, so Heather Bright was able to sing on top of that, okay? So nowadays you can find any old demo and, and see things that are worked on and create your own version of it. It happens a lot. Uh, as we recall the debacle of Heidi Montag with uh, dramatic Britney Spears, uh, the song where she released it, didn't have Britney's vocals. Here's the thing. Not many people have access to release Britney Spears as a background or as a um, a featured artist. You know, you have those those times where Britney has been featured, like with Will I Am, you know, with Rihanna. You have those where Britney Spears is working on projects with people, you know, that are at the, the height of the game, those top tier uh, people. So with Britney creating this as a, you know, as a possible duet for the, the singles collection, she would want somebody that could up the ante. She'd want that female, whether it's a rapper or, and we'll talk about uh, some of the some of the people that Lucas had talked about that he would have loved to have seen on this. So the thing to keep in mind is this. Britney Spears records tons of demos. Sometimes they get sent to other people and they say, hey, this producer wants to work with this. Um, let's see if you can work on something with it. Uh, sometimes they won't scrub the vocals. Adele talked about it with Sia. You know, Adele had worked on the song uh, with Sia. And then, you know, I think it was, I'm, it's Alive, I'm Alive, the Sia song that was ultimately released. And Sia was like, hey, is it okay if I have this? And Adele said, yes, but you need to scrub my vocals completely off. No remnants, nothing left on there. And so that happens a lot. And in the time of hacking, especially during 2007, 8, 9, 10, a lot of these songs have been finding their way out there from all these other artists and people can create something and say, this is my version on top of it. Um, I'm not saying that's the case in here, but giving you all the different uh, scenarios. But we do know this. 
Britney Spears recorded King of My Castle during the time for her greatest hit singles. Uh, Lucas, you know, verified it with emails and everything, which is awesome. Like I said, I like keeping facts here. Because oftentimes we've seen in artist fan communities, people make up these stories. Uh, people create things. I've noticed a lot of um, fan sites, YouTube channels that would have all these Britney demos. And then when I talk about them not being Britney demos, they get removed. And I say, it's okay. You assumed it was that or somebody told you the song was there. It's okay. Just keep the song up there and just put, you know, debunked or say, hey, on the original Dial podcast with James Rodriguez, we found out that that was not um, accurate, which is fine because then you don't have a bunch of people viewing things and assuming that song is there. So in this, it's important that we talk about this. This was a cover of a song. Britney Spears liked the fact that she could be king of my castle. This was going to be during the time, August 2009, of all of these, um, the greatest hits, figuring out what songs are going to be on there, territory-wise, so on and so forth. So we'll go into more of this with that. Um, so I'm going to stop talking. Follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And I have Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash theoriginaldoll. It's simple. You can do a recurring charge of a dollar a month donates to help keep this podcast going. I'm an independent uh, Latino LGBT uh, podcaster. There's not pe- not many people behind the scenes uh, helping me with this. So the more funds I have, the more I'm able to do things with the servers and keep the website going up and, and so on and so forth. So any amount is appreciative. Give a shout out to my uh, patrons out there from Paul, Steve, Max, Rami, uh, Tyler, Tommy, Rochelle, uh, Jenny, Rachel. Uh, We have so many people. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And yeah, and be on the lookout. There are going to be a lot more episodes coming up. We have a bunch that, and I say we because it's you, the listeners, and I uh, have a bunch. And just once again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We've been charting so far in each episode at almost 40 different countries, each one. So thank you all so much. I'll stop talking. This is James Rodriguez, and this is the Original Doll Podcast. The Original Doll. Well, I, I have, it just comes from, uh, I think I started, I started uh, as a rap artist, started um, in hip hop and uh, I had a record called Lucas with the Lid Off, which was a big hit on Atlantic on Big Beat. And it was a Grammy nominated in the States. And it was like a genre of sort of bending, like ragtime, hip hop, jazz, reggae. And um, I wasn't really, I didn't really want to be an artist. Um, so even though that did well and it got me a good relationship with Craig Common, who's the head of Atlantic today, which is also why I work on a lot of projects um, throughout the years. Uh, you know, I've, I've always loved different types of music. And I think I felt uh, not limited, but I had ideas that were sort of uh, wider than hip hop presented to me at the time. And then uh, in the UK, I started working with a uh, girl band called the Sugar Babes. Oh, yeah. That were that, that were didn't quite. uh pop in the states but uh, around the world they were they were they were big and they were kind of progressive you know like a little benetton ad of girls an irish girl a black chick and uh, and a filipino but but they were they were cool and um i worked on 
quite a few of their records and yeah, they went they they had like five or six number ones in the UK and, and albums around the world. And after that I, I I sort of continued in the in the in the pop mold and did uh Christina Aguilera, Red Hot Kind of Love with Levy Frank helping to write. And uh yeah, Britney uh King of My Castle, which was like a kind of a interpolation of the Wham Do project. Um uh, which is like an old dance classic, and Britney liked the, I think she liked the idea of 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 being, you know, like the boss bitch in the man's house. You know, what I mean, like to to being the king of the castle was like a really cool, was like a really cool twist for her. You know, what I mean, that she always, you know, I think enjoys like flirting with, you know, like the you know, people's, you know, genders and this and that. You know, she's super open minded and always got support from every community so I thought like King of my castle was that was like a big F you to the men type of thing you know what I mean like she was she could run the man's house as well which I think what is what appealed appealed to her but she was really cool to work with she was super quick and she was like super professional like three hours she was like super quick super talented you know what I mean so was that and funny too afterwards well, like, was that going to be that was her solo song right it was always going to be her song yeah I think the reason why the reason why I didn't drop because I think she wanted like a there was like a little bit of confusion on whether she wanted like a feature on it or whether she wanted to keep it for herself. And then I think after that, I think she ran into some, um, I don't know, she had some few difficulties and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, she was super, super, super dope to work with. Um, other people ended up kind of like recording the song and making a hit of it, but you know, like let's focus on her. And, and that was, that was cool for me. And that was like, uh, the only two the so like it's uh, the guy who runs RCA, Keith Naftali, he likes to remind me like the two times I've worked with him, he's like hooked me up. <laughs> First was like Brittany and then it was like Christina Aguilera. So he's like, You're two for two, so that's not <laughs> bad. I can't, can't be mad at him. Not many people can say that. It's like, here you go working on this. So my question is, and what I want to do is for for the first time listeners, is for every question Lucas answers, we get items donated to charity. So we're helping out families in homeless shelters, low-income families, and more. So I have, I don't know if you can see this, there's like tons of questions from your people. Let's go, brother. People. I'm off for charity. I do a lot of charity myself, so let's let's go. And so there was a ton of people, because that was one of those things, because a lot of people said, wait, because they had heard this Shane Ward version came out, and Britney was always going to be a feature on this. And then other people were like, no, I think this was a Britney project separately. So yes, th th you're correct. And they're correct. Uh, it was a Britney song. It had nothing to do with uh, uh, Shane initially. I, I got paid to go to LA to, to produce Britney, just like I was producing any other artist. And after that, the confusion arose because she wasn't, because it didn't really have a verse, because the original King of My Castle was like basically like a hook and instrumental part. It's like a seminal dance record. And um, yeah, so that was where the confusion. And then obviously, like the, People who owned the sample, Strictly Rhythm, which was like a classic dance label, uh, they suggested that, you know, we put it on another artist and feature Britney, and then it got all political, which is where I take a step back because <laughs> I, I, I just enjoy I just enjoy making music and, you know, they got to work out the if, ands, buts. I would have suggested, like, you know what I mean, at the time, like, you know, like a Nicki Minaj or something like that would have been good on the verse. Or, you know, someone like who had a spunky type of personality and was like, you know, had a lot of like fierce, you know, I mean, it could stand up in the men's world type of thing or whoever, you know, something like well, that. Maybe not specifically her, but something like that. could be. And good. that's one of those things where it's like in many conversations that I've had with other producers and songwriters is they're like, 
you know, Brittany, everything, the, the, the time, the, the dark times, as people call it and everything, that they were like, she still went into the studio. She did her thing. She was professional. She had her stuff done. Um, and I th- was this for like the greatest hits album or? F- okay. Yeah. Because um, that was another question because somebody said, oh, my God, can you tell the God Lucas, please, 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 was King of My Castle, which is badass for a woman to do that, was that going to be for the greatest hits? I know Telephone was another song that was on there that was thrown around. Uh, did he work on any other songs yep. specifically for that time? Yeah, I think me and uh, I think me and Frankie had another record. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Heads Up or something like that that they wanted to rock with. That's how I get down. Yeah. That's how we go down. Yeah. That's how I get down. Yeah. That's how we go down. Ooh, I like that. He said I'm the hottest yeah. thing up in here. Boy, yeah. you ain't lying. Yeah. You ain't lying. Uh, 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 uh. Don't make every room and yeah. turn off the shit. And that's yeah. why they dying. Ooh, yeah. And that was like a really futuristic, like a style type of track. I always like to experiment and mix genres and you know crisscross america stuff with uk stuff and that had almost like a grime type of feel to it and and you know frankie's got that those crazy type of rap flows and melodies and stuff so and you know i'm a i'm a lyricist i come up with all the concepts and lyrics my dad was a poet and he used to write from that king cole and a lot of other people so it's uh it's in the blood man so that i come up with every title and concept of every song i've ever done from i hate this part to whatever I've done. And then they, other people help with the melodies and, you know, sometimes I do it well. And sometimes I do the track. Sometimes I do it all. Sometimes I do part of it. You know, it just depends on sometimes when you do a track, you don't hear melodies and sometimes you, you hear it. And sometimes you just have a concept in your head and some, you know, like funny story about, um, I hate this part right here. Just to, sorry to jump, but that was, that turned out to be a hit for Pussycat Dolls. And that was in the airport. I was late for my mom's birthday and she was screaming down the phone. I hung up my, I, and I, I recorded the, the hook. I hate this part right here. I just can't take your tears. I hate this part right here. This is I hate this part right here. I hate this part right here. I just can't take your tears. I hate this part right here. Every day, seven takes of the same old scene. And uh, and then I turned up in the studio like about a week later. And then Wayne Hector, who was another big songwriter, who you know has done too many hits to mention, from Britney Spears to Nicki Minaj to well, I mean, <laughs> flying without wings, man. I mean, you know, crazy hits. And he just played this um, piano melody, and and I said, that sounds like I hate this part, you know, like I hate this part. I have to I have to tell you that we're finished, but you know. It's the buildup that, that, you know, that's hard for people you know, emotionally and psychologically. So, you know, you never know. You just have to be open to, to using everything around you. But yeah, Brittany was super professional. That was a great experience. And she was, uh, no matter what comes out of it, it's always great to connect with legends. And, and you know, they are there because they have, a, they have the correct attitude, especially towards their work. Aguilera too, Christina Aguilera, we did Red Hot Kind of Love, which was like top five in quite a few countries.
and that was a fun blend of styles and she was super cool to work with you know like she recorded like we recorded five hours of vocals and straight you know and she's like a she's like a diva's diva you know like i I was telling her, you know, like sing this one a little more softly because I said when you sing like medium, that's my loud. When you sing loud, you break my microphones. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I told her, you know, I said you got to sing this one quietly because, you know, what I mean, like you can let off at the end, but this is a more understated vibe. Like the track runs, you know, the track uh, ain't no other man. You know, like fun records that she's had throughout her career. The track's been like a a cool feature, and obviously not overshadowing herself. But, you know, just like you, you're fitting in, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't overshadow it. Like, you, we all know you can sing ring, rings around most people, but sometimes you have to just sell the song and the vibe, you know, and then at the end, put your vibe on it so people know, yeah, yeah, that's her, you know. So that was that was all great. So all the great people have been, like, super professional, you know, like Tony Braxton, super professional, like, tons of good people. And even, like, the pop people, you know, like Big Time Rush, Noop, you know, all those dudes, um, Alesso, cool. Is another that was another good single. Now you're hopping all over all these questions. We have questions for every, yeah, sing, oh, every single Dude, song go in this message. And we gotta donate the charity, so I'm gonna shut up and let you hit it. So the we had one from uh, Extina Lotus Lover. They said, "Hi, I'm a fan of Living Frank. She has a song called She Loves You. Was Red Hot kind of love? Was that something that was gonna be worked on for Livy? And what parts did Christina add to? I think that is one of the best songs, if not the best song on that album. Uh, first of all, thank you. The, 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 the listener got great taste. But um, obviously, I think that, uh, no, it was not a Libby Frank project. That was a beat that I played for Keith Naftali, who's the president of RCA, who has all the divas. You know, he has all the chicks, the Shakiras, the Aguileras, the uh, Doja Cats now, you know, like, you know, and um, Britney, and he loved the beat, and he sent it to Livy to write to, and came back, like, a couple of days later, and he freaked out, and he was like, we were just debating who it was going to be for, you know, and and then Aguilera came back and said she loved it, and, like, three weeks later, I was in her house, uh, you know, very red, very red house, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 uh yeah and then yeah knocked it out and so that's i mean she could she contributed what she always contributes she i mean it was it was written by myself and levy you know she had a little, couple little vibes she changed in the in like the bridge but you know she did she did what she did she she made it her own song in the way that she sang it and the way she performed it un, unmistakably hers so that's that was the answer I, to that one i love it um can you please ask lucas Seacon about his songs the frankie storm Frankie was badass on the show. They gave me a, was badass on there. I didn't realize how many songs she did. And I also didn't realize she had worked with Lucas on several things. Can you please talk a little bit about Little Bit of Forever, Heads Up and Screaming Underwater? Yeah, um, that's funny. Um, yeah, Screaming Underwater, that was like a song that I did with Frankie and we did that in LA. And Heads Up was the same thing. And that was going to be for Brittany. And then I think Alexandra Burke wanted to cut it after that. We also did another one. I forgot the name of it for Jordan Sparks. Walking uh, on Snow, yeah, It Takes More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did We did Walking on Snow for, for Jordan Sparks. And Libby Frank uh, did some, a part of that, too. And, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Frankie Storm. She's like a super prolific writer. and we're, we we were very good 
uh, so sparring partners and, you know, like in the era with her and, and Andrea. So, yeah, yeah, Frankie Storm super what, gifted and she's no doing her own thing now. So And what's been great is when she had talked to me and, and the listeners heard, she just said, you know, she's been blessed to have many collaborators. She mentioned you. She said, you know, sometimes you just go with those people that musically you're just like, let's go for it. She's like, you know, sometimes you could have preconceived notion of like, oh, this person maybe does something a little harder than I do or whatever. She's like, but there are those people that when you get in there, you're like, okay, clean slate, let's just go and let's see what comes from it. And so she mentioned you before. Um, so another another person that says that this is hysterical, the email, PCD forever. I wanted to ask, was it true that the song Blind Spot was for Nicole Scherzinger, I heard I Hate This Part and several other Pussycat Doll songs were for her solo project. Was that true or was this always Pussycat Dolls? Not true. Uh, I Hate This Part, uh, I Hate This Part was, it was written and and sent to Ron Fair, who was uh, the Pussycat Dolls, you know, and Jimmy Ivey heard it. And so that that's where it went first. That was never a Scherzinger song. I think I think it's true that some songs possibly could have been like considered for her solo project. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem with with sort of with her in context of PCD is when you have a girl gang, a gang of cool chicks, and you take sort of the leader out of it, you know, maybe they're not quite as cool as they were when they were amongst other girls. You know what I mean? Like it and then she probably didn't have as much of a clear cut an identified defined identity musically so whereas pcd you know it was sort of well defined what they could do uh and it's like the stick with you i hate this part you know like the sort of like slightly more emotional whether they were like the coming together song or the breakup song they provided like a breathing from like the party anthems you know the don't you the when i grow up you know those type of records so i think that was uh i hate this part was definitely an important record it got them back on the radio got them back on tour and set them up for that jai ho uh, you know, the big movie. Thing. Well, and that was one of those things I had interviewed Casey Livingston, who did Stick With You and, and uh, Lindy Robbins and Shelly Pike and who... Yes, she, oh, Casey is, Casey is hard. Yeah, and me. it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, all of you were working on these big projects. And I, I always thought, looking at that time from Jordan Sparks and um, I'm trying to think, like Miranda Cosgrove, like all of these people, there were all these projects where it just happened, people were going back and forth. And a couple of people said, yeah. there was definitely a lot of, hey, if you have a song Britney doesn't want to cut, let's send it to my artist because we'll we'll take that. We'll take that. Listen, it was it was all that. I think, to be honest, I think you got, you had several girls, several female artists who could potentially do the same thing. I mean, it might come up in one of our questions, but get out of my way. Uh, is a record that Jive came back on for Britney uh, and it was too late. I'd already played it for them and then they came back like a month later and a month later like Kylie was getting ready to do a video and so that that Get Out of My Way uh, probably would have been a Britney single had they like jumped on the spot instead of waiting like I thought six weeks I played it in New York so and that could have been a cool that could have been a cool Britney record too so uh, you know Kylie and Britney yeah for sure you know they have similarities suppose but yeah it's totally correct definitely a lot of records get passed around the my record for 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 jordan sparks face drop became a sean sean kingston single uh that i wrote with andrew martin uh it takes more for jordan sparks that i did with andrew martin um was gonna be uh i mean they loved it for scherzinger and stuff so it was like you know like you said 
you know, there, are, there were a pool of, of good female artists that, that could do the same type of songs if they had a, sort of a similar set of values, I suppose, or shared some things. You know. Another question was, somebody wanted to know, you've worked on a few tracks with Toni Braxton. What was that like? She's one of those iconic voices. Did do you intend to work with her? And if so, did you have to keep anything in mind when working with a voice so unique as Toni Braxton? That's a good, that's a good, uh, real good question. And, you know, when you grow up, uh, with a voice uh, as a fan, it's always uh, it's always interesting to get to work with people then, and sort of to be able to take take off the fan hat and put on the producer hat, and then and then I start to figure out how can I affect uh, Tony Braxton's project in a positively, and what can I add to her, and how can I assist her in bringing her into another era. And I, you know, uh, you make my heart was one record I did, and. It came, it came about because I had a sample, some horn sample, like I used to break dance to back in the days. It was like a big uh, hip hop record. And um, and I always loved that horn. Da -da 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 -da. So I was like, yeah, let me put some beats to that. And, that, and then I sent it to uh, Makiba Riddick. And uh, yeah, so she wrote the top line for that one. And then um, I played it for, uh, I played it for uh, Vincent Herbert, who was her manager at the time. And, and in LA and he loved it for her. And then obviously she was signed to Craig Kalman, who's my friend who runs Atlantic. And then that was it. And Tamar's Tamar's on the back, right? The back, like she's the chorus. She's like the backing. Yeah, she is. She was married to Vincent. I'm not sure if they still are, but they were, she was at the time, we definitely were. And she was involved. And then we, he paid, they paid me to write it, do another one on the spot. And that's when we did uh, Looking at Me. But Sean Paul uh, was on the remix of it, but that never came out. SP alongside Tony Braxton So sexy So fine Yo, 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 yo Well, you got me looking at you And then you're looking at me I'll die in the same bracket in the world And it was too late. It, get, it, got, it got submitted too late. I got a version. It's fire. Hopping off again to remind you to join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash theoriginaldoll. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support The Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. So any help, in fact, is appreciated. And you also get some fun things. Uh, different levels, you get different exclusive content. So don't forget, Instagram, the.original.doll, and you can follow me on my website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And if you have any questions or want me to deep dive into any other songs or songwriters, hit me up on there or follow me on Twitter at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. It's the account that Britney Spears follows. <laughs> Enjoy. Now back to the show. But, um, but, but, but yeah, because Craig had, uh, had signed Sean Paul and he had that, uh, that uh, Caribbean link, so... He suggested, because the beat was kind of a Caribbean vibe, um, he suggested Sean Paul. And I, uh, I always loved Sean Paul, especially like the early albums uh, on Atlantic. Um, and yeah, so that came together. And she was, she was super cool. F funny story was when I got out to L.A. Um, to record You Make My Heart, which is obviously like a, You Make My Heart go boom, 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 like happy, up-tempo, bubbly, you know, giddy feeling when you meet a, a cool guy and whatnot. And, uh, and, and then Tony Braxton said, well, um, it's a bit happy for me. Do you mind if like we rewrite it like in a more sad way? And I said, well, 
that might be kind of difficult because it's like an up-tempo party song. And then, you know, I study psychology at NYU. So, you know, sometimes you have to use like all the, all your sort of ammo. And I said, so, you know what, you know, my son doesn't know you. He doesn't have a clue who you are. Never heard your voice. And guess what? I want him to know who you are. I want everyone to know who you are from the past and the present and in the future. So I said, you know what? You make me high. Is that a sad song? No, it's not. I went through a catalog in front of her. I said, you got plenty of records that did well that weren't sad songs. And I said, you know what? Your your voice is 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 the trademark. I said, you know, what we choose to sing about, you know, shouldn't shouldn't define us. You know what I mean? Like you already define yourself whenever you put your open your mouth on the song. I said, my issue is the song is fast, and I haven't been able to make out a word you said in any of your verses. I remember all the choruses, but and you know, I'm talking to like an icon, mm-hmm. so I'm like shitting myself. I'm like, oh my god. But sometimes, you know, the best way is to be honest with people. And I said, you know what? I have a hard time. With like, I have a hard time understanding your verses. So like, I, I torture people vocally, you know, making a nice way, you know, and, and I don't care if you sold a hundred million or, or one record, like the same principles apply. We are here to, to, to sell the song in the best way possible and put your identity on it. That's it. I don't care who you are and you shouldn't care who I am. You know, we're coming together to do the best for the project and for yourself. So, you know what I mean? She got worked out on the, on the vocals and I understand every word because Craig was like, what's she saying? What's she saying? And I said, you know, I have the same issue. And then she accepted it. I said, you know what, you know, like, don't let the sad songs define your whole career. You know what I mean? Like, we're here to move forward. You have different type of vibes in your album. Let's enjoy it and, you know, make this, you know, acknowledge this is part of your personality, too. So she accepted it. And, yeah, she's really cool, man. Like, a, a real cool lady. And then, you know, I don't really think about, oh, I'm in mean, with an icon. Obviously, like, you think, shit, don't fuck this up. <laughs> Whether it's Britney or Aguilera or Tony Braxton or... I mean, I, don't, I worked with Boys to Men once. Underwater. Like yeah, that's, that was another question. Yeah, Somebody yeah. asked, can you please talk about how Underwater came to be? Yeah, so that was uh, uh, myself and uh, T. Coles, uh, DiCarlo Coles, who's a super dope songwriter. He, he does a lot of Chris Brown stuff, and he's super well connected, and Friedelin, a Danish producer. And uh, yeah, uh, myself and T. Coles did that record in, in L.A. It was one of my concepts, like crazy concepts, and He's he's a uh, he's he's super open minded, like proper R&B black dude, but he can do any style and is, you know, he could do anything from pop to alternative to. And that came out dope. And he came back and said, yeah, the boys and men want to do it. And I was like, what? I was like, that's that's crazy. And I was like, you know, and then they, the vocals came back and they were just like, you could just you just know boys and men. So like, you know, the single vocal got turned into like a four part harmony. And and and, and that was cool just because, you know, like, you know, those moments are great because you know it's not even about sales it's not about none of that it's just about you grew up with voices and for them to do something good on your track you know that that that's puts a smile on your face you know what I mean? and they, and they killed the vocals man so i was like wow they still got it you know so that was that was fun so yeah that was uh myself and t coles d carlo coles as he is today so. that's awesome i actually had another question somebody asked uh i know that lucas worked with september on a few songs was Resuscitate Me, was that kind of a Britney song? Because it definitely sounds like it could have easily fit on a Britney song or Britney album. Yeah, the, the other record, funnily enough, that one and the other record, Party In My Head, that became a single. And uh, that was another one of my concepts. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like when the, you know what I mean? When the club's dead, the party's in my head. You know what I mean? So, uh, and that was, uh, they, yeah, they loved that one for her too. So that could have been a Britney record too. Uh, I think at the time, some of the t- uh, might have just been like a bad timing, like when I was submitting some of the songs, like she wasn't recording or 
you know, like she was taking a break from things or whatever. But yeah, there were quite a few of my songs that easily could have been uh, her. Rihanna was another one. They like they like party in my head for Rihanna too. Uh, L.A. Reid was at Def Jam at the time. Uh, but you know, like if you know you snooze, you lose. I mean, you can't you know you can't sit on songs like that. I mean, I never I don't believe in that. Tell you a funny story real quick. Um, I I tell you who I hate this part was going to be cut by. Mm -hmm. And who wanted to cut it? Beyonce. Stop. Stop. No. And um, so what happened was when we first did, so that's part of what I left out. I forgot. Yeah, when we first did I Hate This Part, I sent it to uh, Max Goose and I worked with her dad, who was still managing her at the time before, uh, obviously, she got married to Jay-Z and managed by Rock and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, she loved it. And um and it made sense because if I were a boy, if I were a boy, and those records at the time, you know what I mean? Like that whole vibe, the snowy oh New York, God. you know, got some, and she wanted to cut it. And then the problem was they came back and they were like, well, you know, she's going to, she's just in the beginning of the projects. And I was like, she's going to, she's going to cut like 90 records, a hundred records. And I just said, I said, no, I said, no, I said, it's not happening. And I said, you know what? I'm number one fan of Beyonce. She's absolutely incredible. But had had you guys done 90 records, I would have been way more enthusiastic about it because then it's the best. It's always best to come in at the end of projects because it's like a it's like a smile with a couple of teeth missing. You know what I mean? You could be like the the sonic dentist and put the tooth back. You know, that that's sort of the fits most, the smile. That's you know the I mean? most amazing thing. <laughs> and the listeners are all like, so, "I get it, I get it." <laughs> But you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, the, you want to you be the person to, to give the artist what they don't have yet. And what the, so they're not sure what they're looking for. But when they then cut that, they go, wow, okay. Like, I hate this part of Pushcat Dolls. The album was done. You know what I mean? They, and they were just like, wow. And I was like, you know what? This is cool. This could work for them. But Beyonce, I would have loved her to do it. And that's the right. But they couldn't commit to the level that we wanted. And, and, and we felt too strongly about the song, um, rightfully so. You know, so like, our conviction and I hate this part led us to 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 turn down Beyonce on it, which some might say is like suicidal. But on the other hand, like, you know, you don't have anything yet. Just because she cuts it, you know what I mean? You're nine months or twelve months away from the album, and they might change direction three times. So it's always better if you're fortunate enough to come in when they're finished, basically, and they're still looking because that means they're not quite finished. And 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 then as soon as like um Dawes cut the vocals, it sounded crazy. Like Scherzinger sounded like almost one of like probably one of the best vocals she's ever done. And and you know what I mean? Like and it turned out to be a, a huge hit record for them and, and a huge and, and one of my biggest records. It's a BMI award winning song, which is awesome. Congrats to that. It's a BNI and it was it was at, and it went number one uh in some countries and it was like a you know almost a double platinum single now in America. So you know it was a big it was a big song for me too. And so I was happy that we stuck to our guns, but yeah, Beyonce was going to cut it. Yep. And then after that, they wanted to give it to Kelly Rowland, but Kelly Rowland had had uh, had departed her sort of uh, alternative vibe that I love, you know, like cross the mm -hmm. tracks, soul, and all that stuff, which I was a big fan of. And she was sort of, you know, she had done like I think she did the dance song, the David Guetta one, or one. Yeah, I can't remember which one she'd done. And then she was like. Hadn't gone into like the full sexy R&B ballad chick yet. You know what I mean? So I didn't really understand what she was on at the time. Like I wasn't quite clear on like what she was doing. And I felt the song was really clear. So that's why, you know, in relation to If I Were a Boy, Beyonce made sense. But I, was like, I didn't really understand that until she recorded it. 
then I saw it. Okay, I get it. This is like a stick with you, but like a sad song, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like the, you know, like the momentary break from the party records that they need to. So yeah, I was like, that makes sense. So it's, yeah, that was. Uh, so I hate this part was going to be Beyonce, but it turned out to be Pussycat Dolls, and that was probably a good. And people thing. are like exclusive here. What we did, and of course, there's going to be some person that's like, I knew this 300 years ago before the song was even made. It's like nah, nobody <laughs> knew this. <laughs> Nobody. This, this is the first on your this show. This is the original Dial podcast exclusive. So thank you for that. Because this is your trust me. All these things I'm telling you, like nobody knows the, none. The amount of times I've had like uh, songwriters come on and that were like, oh, and that they, they when we were going through their songs, they're like, I forgot about that until this moment. Like I forgot about it, it happened at the studio. And then there's yeah. somebody that's like online, like, oh, I knew that three years ago. And the, the songwriter's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> like I didn't even tell my husband. <laughs> like what are you talking about? No, but it's no, always no. those people. So thank you for the, the all these exclusive things so far on the original Dial podcast. Now there was another question. Okay, a big part of the transition and everything from like CDs to digital, really, like it it kind of jumped over. And my thing is, I was looking at some of your stuff through the RIAA. You have a bunch of stuff that is probably going to be getting the next certifications, like the Pussycat Dolls, big time, like because there's no way when it's like, hey, that song was only out for three months and that was the last time it was certified 20 years ago or something like that. I'm like, there's still got to be, you know, more coming up. So I'm hoping with this big evolution of people going, okay, we're at digital, that a lot of these songs that those people, those accountants, those auditors get in there. Because even some of the Britney songs, like Britney Toxic was like last certified, let's say 2003 or 2004 before stream. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a good point, and it's, and you know what's and it's not cool because what it does is that it sort of low rates them historically. You know what I mean? Like you and 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 it makes them seem less less successful when the fact is, and and another dimension on that is, they may not may not be as big on Spotify because they were they were big before Spotify blew up. But the fact is, you know, if you take a song like I hate this part, you know, I hate this part was the number one airplay record in like fifteen countries. I know a lot of people know that. Yeah, it was number one in a, quite a few countries and top three in a lot of countries, top 10 in the States. But it was, you know, what I mean, that was a massive record. I, I make money every quarter on that. And this that was 10, 12 years ago. And the same with Get Out of My Way, another thing. So, but the thing is, like, if you go on Spotify, yeah, it might be 50 million. But had that been released today, that'd be a being, that would be a mainstream song. And that's what I'm trying to say. So, like, in, in historical perspective, you have to sort of bear in mind that Spotify wasn't popping at the time and a lot of other things. So if you judge it by today's standards, no. If you were around 10 years ago, you couldn't escape it. Exactly. And that's you know, a lot of Britney songs are the same. Yep. And you that know? was and that was the thing. You had worked with a lot of these people, like even that, like the Jordan Sparks song, Walking on Snow. That's one of my favorite songs. I think it is my favorite song she's ever done, hands down. And I talked to Frankie about it. It's so good. And 
And when I've been able to hear like these demo versions, it's so cool to see an evolution of a song that some of these artists give that little extra like oomph where you go, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? I get why that's like that. Um, but we have a bunch, a bunch more songs. Um, and so what I want to do is kind of, I'm going to name these songs and you just throw a, you know, anything that you remember with the song, because we have a bunch for that big time rush. How did you get involved? You know, were these songs ever for like One Direction eventually? Were these songs, like, how did you get involved in that? Because that was a huge, and people need to realize that that was a huge pro. There was a lot on the line for the Big Time Rush project. Yeah. How did you get brought in? Right. So I had a beat that Atlantic wanted for uh, Lupe Fiasco's first single. I mean, at the time for his new project. And um, they and Atlantic, which was like my family, they sent 50 top liners in the studio to do hooks for it, for Lupe. Now, Lupe was like, you know, very anti-major label. Mm -hmm. He didn't want nobody doing it for him, but they were like, that's a hit record. That's got that Drake vibe. Uh, so nobody came close to doing it. And I got tired of waiting. So I took the beat and myself and Wayne Hector, uh, the superstar UK songwriter, uh, we wrote Boyfriend at my house in London. And I sent it to Maria Egan, who became head of Pulse and now Splice. And she was like the, she was at Columbia at the time. And uh, I, I can't remember what I sent it to her. Or I played it, I might've played it for her in person in LA. And she loved it and wanted it for a uh, big time rush and told me about the project. And uh, and I was like, cool. And she was like, you know, they want to put Snoop on it and new boys and they're going to be a first, you know, to be the my first single, but it would be the single that they're going to push. And um, and then I came back out and recorded the vocals uh, in L.A. Rob Kanelsky, who he he did the vocals with me and he did uh you know, he's done everything since then. So, and they were, they were real cool. They were easy to work with. It's always a challenge when you have four vocalists and you got to keep everybody happy, but that's my job as a psychologist and a diplomat, you know what I mean? Just to make sure everybody gets a part that suits them and identify the best thing to do the hook and stuff like that. And um, yeah, Snoop came on it and, uh, and that was nice. That was a nice touch. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, I took the album from like, the album had come out already and it took the album from like 200,000 to like three and a half million worldwide. And it made Maria Egan vice president. So, uh, so that was like a, that was, that was, and that's the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and that was the truth. And that, that, so that record and the project that shows you what that could do for someone, whether it's an, it's a songwriter or a record executive. You know what I mean, like suddenly she was sitting on a project that was making Sony, you know what I mean? A hundred million. You know what I mean? And, and so, and, and, okay much respect to her. You know what I mean? I'm happy she chose the song and, and I'm sure they are too, cause it helped them. And they were never going to be, a, they were never going to be a band that charted like top 10 in America, but they were just going to be the type where, you know, they're going to sell a lot of albums and the TV show was massive. So, you know, like it's, it's a good look. And then I did another one called show me, I think on the next album elevate, I think they did about two and a half million worldwide or something like that. But, you know, and then after that, you know, those type of things, they usually disintegrate or people like believe that they're solo superstars or, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Happen out really quickly to talk about that. So when uh, Big Time Rush's song Boyfriend was released, it was certified gold in the United States for over 500,000 copies. This was at the time within like a, a year of the song being released. The album itself that it came from, BTR, also went on to sell 500,000 copies, half a million. And these certifications have not been updated. So both of them are gold level from uh, just about 10 years ago. 
And it's important because there are a lot of artists who, in fact, they've not updated many certifications for them. For those Britney Spears fans out there, for those Madonna fans, you know, oftentimes you look and go, where are they updating all of these yet? Because we know streaming now plays a part in the certifications. So I'm going to keep an eye on all these certifications from all our previous guests. And if you see any from our previous guests, please reach out to me, hit me up in my DMs so that I can keep updating and uh, let the rest of the listeners know about this. All right, back to the show. That's well, and that's something else too, is that you've worked with so many bands and so many solo artists. You've worked with established artists. You worked with people like right on the verge international. You know what I mean? Um, and the wanted, the ones that are making a comeback now. Stop. Really? Yeah. They got a big stadium tour and they're dropping the greatest oh. hits. Uh, and they got a solo and, new single and out. You ha- I have a, a question on The Wanted. It was... was the single with it. Yes. Which was number two. Somebody was like, how did he get involved with The Wanted? And I feel like, I think it was something where, I think they said they thought The Wanted could have gone further than it did. Like, what what from your end, like, what ended up happening that you knew? Yeah, Heart Vacancy? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I had written Heart Vacancy like a poem um without music and then i came to the studio and wayne hector again uh and uh cut father and jonas Jayberg and copenhagen and we knocked it out they remixed the song uh changed the music and um it was quite a few artists that wanted to cut it but the ones that did it and and it turned out good and they were like on the way up they had like uh glad you came which wayne also did and that was the f- and the all-time low was their first big hit and then that went number one ours was the second single that went number two, the album went platinum. They had another one, Glad You Came, which is big. And uh, they had a few songs. And I think, I don't know, I think they that uh, the lead singer wanted to go solo and uh, that, that might always have been on the cards. You know what I mean, like that usually happens. If it happens early, then it's usually because the lead singer has been promised a solo career uh-huh. if they sort of stick with the band for a couple albums. I mean, that was, that was, that was, that was uh, Fergie Ferg from, uh, Black, from Eyed Black Eyed Peas. That was her the whole thing. They promised her she was going to be a solo artist. And if she stuck with Black Eyed Peas for a minute and helped blow them up or vice versa. And, you know, I mean, it worked, you know, at least in the beginning. Um, but, yeah, so I, I agree. I think they could have gone further if they had stuck together. And um, people certainly liked them. And there's a lot of there's a big buzz about them in the UK now. Massive buzz. Unfortunately, one of the members got uh, a tumor or something like that, cancer. So, um, so they just did a big charity thing that Sharon was there, blah, blah, blah. So they're going like a stadium tour, greatest hits albums coming out, including Heart Vegas, November and new single. Hopping out again. So what I wanted to update you with is for this, the Wanted song, Heart Vacancy, it ended up selling over 200,000 copies in the UK alone. Um, if you break that down by the population, that's about one in every 355 people. Um, had a copy of that song in the UK. So it's a big deal. And once again, certifications are huge. Silver certifications, you know, gold plat, all those certifications are important. So I add these in there because it's important to show that these artists, these songwriters, producers have made an impact. And that song was successful in the UK. Some people in the US, US may say, oh, I don't know that song. Or in Brazil, they might not know that song. Some do, some don't. Um, but this is just to show you how very regionally different things are. Sometimes songs are only released in one territory. People ask, why can't this come out? It comes down to record distributions, labels, 
who can release it, who cannot, are you competing with somebody else within the label, so on and so forth. We get into that in the next couple episodes as well. So back to the show. And the, and the album's probably going to go number one uh, in November. In and that's UK. something with the UK is when I was there, it was the love of music was so much higher and the love of pop and boy bands, girl bands, all this stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, was higher. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know who the sugar babes were before. You know, I didn't know. I knew... Um, Robbie Williams for like this much in the States. I didn't know all of Take That or S Club 7. Like I knew people here and there, but my appreciation of them grew when the music was everywhere. And I was like, wait, they're like, oh, Rachel Stevens, or you have Atomic Kitten and Girls Loud. So I was being introduced and I'm like, it was great because I was still buying the CDs. This is like, you know, 18, 16, 18 years ago. Saturday. <clears throat> and I had tons of like Well, that. and the thing is, it's like, I look at you and I go, you're one of those 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 producers, those songwriters, where it's like no one could really put you in that box because you can do that UK thing, you can do the US gritty hip hop beat kind of thing, you can do all of these things, and I think that that's what makes it great to look at your discography because these songs don't sound the same. And I know in my experience with my own ears, sometimes there are producers that it's a very similar sound and similar concept all the time. Um, I think it died. I think that that shortens your lifespan. I mean, because I think, you know, music industry is is a reflection of the wider society is extreme capitalism. So, you know, when Stargate pops out a hot record and, and they do another 15 like it, that's great. But as soon as the trends change and some hot kid comes with a hot beat, it's totally different. And that captures the imagination. You're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, and, that, and that's because then you got a bunch of people doing the beats for you and suddenly you've lost touch with how you created that formula and then there's a whole nother vibe and then you know what i mean so i've some you know it helps and it hurts you know what i mean but i've always been a person who loved a lot of different things and never wanted to feel limited by it so and also because i write sometimes i only write and sometimes i produce and sometimes i write and produce so so that can sort of throw me into different things where sometimes i'm just a songwriter on something that could be a quite totally different thing we've had a lot of k-pop success taman taman Taman, uh, Toho Shinki, uh, Merotic was, that's, I think, the second or third biggest K-pop song in history, uh, equivalent of 5 million sold in Girls' Generation, Shiny. I mean, there's been a crazy amount of stuff. And that's, and the weird thing is, the weird thing is, that's just, whoops, sorry. The weird thing is, that's just been like a, that's just been like a side thing. A lot of times they just did covers of records that I'd done in Europe that were big. But obviously, since the genre is now it's grown, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't, you can't, you have to submit original songs. And they're so big now. That, I mean, they're bigger than American artists. I mean, BTS and those artists are like, I mean, that they can hardly sing in English. You know what I mean? You can hardly understand mm-hmm. them. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 no disrespect. You know what I mean? Like, but, you know, but it's a good thing they tried because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, they're massive now. All right, hopping out to let you know that we have more with Lucas coming up. And if you have any questions for Lucas Seacon, mega producer, superstar artist, Grammy winner, uh, everything, let me know. Message me on Instagram, the.original.doll. Go ahead, leave me a message. What question do you have for Lucas? Uh, What's something you want to know about his career, his work, his songs? Because we have a lot more to discuss too. So we will be releasing a part two episode and we'll be releasing a bonus one about the questions that you have. So going back to King of My Castle, this is what we know. 
It was recorded in August of 2009. This was the time in which Britney Spears was on break between her European tour and her um, when she got back to the U.S. slash Canada for the circus tour. And in that time, just a month before, she had recorded the song Three in Sweden in Stockholm on her, um, on her tour stop. And they were announcing it in September that she was going to be releasing a, a singles collection, a greatest hits collection. There were many songs being released. You know, some of them, were they going to be on the singles collection? Were they going to be on a re-release for the circus tour? Were they going to be with the Rodney Jerkins album that was going to be coming out? All this stuff was happening at the same time. Now, the thing to remember is this. Britney Spears gender flipping, flipping that king of my castle, making it so that it's her voice on there. She's talking about it. When they couldn't figure out who was going to be on the verses, and oftentimes verses, you know, especially during this time, we're going to throw a rapper on there. We're going to throw somebody on there. Uh, the suggestion that Lucas had of, of Nicki Minaj was great because at the time, this was her coming into the game and really making an impact. Now, um, the question is, you know, was the song intended for, you know, Shane Ward? And as Lucas talked about, it was a Britney Spears project for it was going to be attached to her album. Now, what happened after that with the, the, the political side? And those listeners that have listened to the original Doll podcast with James Rodriguez know politics comes in. It's usually somebody is going to say, hey, I want this artist because they're in my place. Strictly Rhythm, the label um, in which that owned the original, you know, talked with these publishers, so on and so forth. They had their own thoughts. Hey, if we get Britney to do this, we can throw this person on. So the political part comes in because it's ultimately who's going to have the bigger name to add on to this? Who's going to benefit financially from this? If they put at that time, let's say, Avril Lavigne on there or Kelly Clarkson or Jordan Sparks, let's say just another uh, female vocalist, the people to benefit from that are those who are at the label those who manage those artists. So that's where politics comes in. And we'll go more into that soon. Um, so as we know, the King of My Castle was originally for Britney, uh, and it was going to be part of the singles collection. Uh, one of those songs that was worked on during that time. Uh, so I will let you go and have no fear. We have more coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, we have a bunch of... Uh, fun episodes coming up too. So make sure you subscribe on Apple, uh, The Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. Follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And once again, for each listen we get within the first 24 hours, we get items donated to charity. As some of you have seen, I've put up posters or flyers and posts with the items we've given to the homeless LGBT plus community. We help out low-income families, women at domestic abuse shelters. So thank you all for listening. Just by listening, you're learning all the stuff about music, but you're also helping out those in need. To find out more information, visit www.theoriginaldoll.com. I also want to give a shout out to Brittany Exposed on YouTube. Brittany X-P-O-S-E-D. I like giving a shout out to those who run content, who like researching as much as I do. So go ahead and check them out uh, and the content that they have. They actually talk with a lot of these songwriters and producers individually. Not a he said, she said, they heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else. But go ahead, Britney Exposed at YouTube. Yeah.